What if funders actually sent up their own central server where all the data that's that related to projects that they fund are stored and all the analysis is also done on this server? Yeah, and the benefit here is by default, when you publish a study, your data automatically becomes open. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Cypher Skin. James. Yeah. How you going? That, that's my new when will the plague be over noise. Do you like it? Yeah. I think it's it suits the kind of emotional morass that we're dealing with right now. It's all going away. It's not new, but we don't know when it's going to stop. And it hasn't magic, knowing that it's going to end hasn't magically made everything easier. So we find ourselves perpetually in a situation with the tonality of, ah. Well, th- things have gotten um, so intense here that Sweden, Sweden of all countries, has blocked off the border to Norwegians. That's when you know things are getting bad. What, when they won't let Norwegians in to Sweden? They won't let Norwegians in. Wouldn't, wouldn't they be more concerned about letting Sweden, like the herring plague town itself, wouldn't they be more concerned about letting them out? Oh, it's the concerns go both both ways. Borders just oh, it's, right. mil, it's militarized now. There's just there's army res, army reservists all up and down the border. Oh <laughs> well, isn't 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 that fun? Yeah. Isn't it? Is, isn't it? Isn't it nice to have friendly neighbors? Yeah, the the the, the Swedes. But look, we are going to be continuing with our a new segment uh, overrated underrated appropriately rated but this time um james is going to ask the question so to give you a quick summary yes now to, to give you a quick summary you didn't say what any of these things had to be about you just said basically prepare 10 nouns <laughs> so oh you, man you know, <laughs> you know you know i love looking for a loophole yeah, yeah. When this starts, bear in mind, this was your idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, the, the game is James will say a thing, a noun, and I'll say whether it is overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated. And uh, if I want, I'll expand on it. And if James wants, I can expand. But uh, Or it can just be a one-word answer. So, we'll, we'll see how it goes. This is completely... Um, I have no idea what James is going to ask, and uh, frankly, <laughs> well, this is this is you've 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 missed something. This is a direct parallel of our last episode, or we decided to do one that's essentially in two parts. Mm-hmm. You did you did this silly laundry list of things that are good or bad, yeah, and I presented you with a developed idea that I had in me head. Yeah. And now we're doing it the other way around. Yeah, where part two. I have, I have a laundry list of silliness and you, from the depths of your big alleged brain, have brought me a good complicated idea that's worth chewing over and not wasting our listeners' time. Yeah. Let's do it. Good man. Let's jump good into it. Good man. Okay. Okay. Item number one. Foot fetishes. <laughs> Appropriately rated. If people are into it, all power to them. I I, I think there's something very. Uh, this it's kind of uh, almost almost innocent and sweet. I mean, it's just it's it's not putting someone in a burlap sack and, and beating them with a length of chain. It's feet. Yeah. I'm, no I'm 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 kind of like I'm kind of charmed by the idea that feet make people so incredibly happy. 
Good, um, good for them. It's not something that I. This is not something that I think about. It just po- seems to pop up on the internet all the time because people have these persistent jokes about um, celebrities. So like, it's with that Ben Shapiro guy. There's this long running joke that's been going for years about how he's into feet, and I've never really Who? thought about it before a week or two ago. Oh, some chattering dick from the television. It doesn't matter. So, so okay. okay, go go on. Uh, the Franco-Prussian Alliance of 1821. <laughs> no, no idea. I'm not good with history. Appropriately rated. Bad. Oh, I, I don't know. That's terrible. You have to do stuff I actually know about, James. Next one. Gingers. Gingers. <laughs> Underrated. I've met a lot of yeah. good gingers. I've met a I, lot of- I, I, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, under definitely underrated. We 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 worked with a great ginger back in our time, PhD Tim t- Tim Alfred, good old Tim. Oh, as you affectionately God, yes. called him, uh, G- Ginger Tim. Ginger Tim. Yeah. See, I'm- he was he was great, good researcher, nice guy, bit weird. Um, skin skin the color of a piece of A4 paper and hair the color of a fire engine. I, I've Not never met that. I've never met a nasty or surly um redhead. They're all friendly people. Oh, Under underrated, God. underrated. Did, yeah, definitely, definitely. And to think people grew up in it, like, I never understood it at primary school. And there's people like, oh, there's, there's, there is a ginger kid in the corner. Let us throw rocks at him. Why? Yeah, where, did, where did that even come from? It's very strange. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, here's, here's one you will have an opinion on. Apple products. <laughs> um, appropriately rated, then- in some cases, not as good as people say they are, and in other cases, people shit on them for for, for no reason. Um, well, I hope I hope you've updated yours because they have a massive security hole right now. I did. Everyone up- is listening to this. Everyone is listening to this should be running fourteen point four. Yeah, I um, did. I did update mine. Good. Yeah, and then you can go and reflect on how your your precious fuck toys can can never be hacked, and you're, you're completely immune to every bad thing that could ever possibly happen, basically <laughs> or wrong. Okay, yeah. Next, next one, Daniel. The Borgia Pope. The what Pope? Oh, Jesus mate. Christ. What's all this it's history? Like talking, it's, talk, it's talking what? to a pint of plywood. This is just things that I think about. You asked me for. You asked me for. A list of things. You didn't say a list of sensible things. This is, I sat down and looked at the ceiling and thought, what 10 things would I like your opinion on? And now you're making a bollocks on it by not knowing stuff. You'd think you'd use the theme of last week as as a guide, but no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, James, I I thought you'd do something boring and predictable. Just like me. Silly me. All right, next one. Okay. Um, Fully unblinded open peer review. Oh, um, underrated. Let's mm, okay. Let's let's try it and see what happens. Like look, pe- people instantly, I think, go towards doing the safe thing, which is how we're always doing it. Um, when it comes to changing how we do things, I think we always have to think about the. The, the the benefits and the things that can go wrong. And in this, I think the benefits would outweigh things that can go wrong. So, this idea is underrated, I think. Mm. Yeah, I didn't say I wouldn't become sensible at some point, Dan. Maybe I could only think of uh, five good ones <laughs> and I wanted to wind you up with five bad ones. <laughs> I would go underrated as well, uh, very, very simply, because uh, a lot of journals – 
have great big archives of reviews where you have a reasonably good historical control that you could change and see what happens. I would love to see a sentiment analysis on open reviews looking for uh, whether or not they were cursory, whether or not they were dickish, whether or not they garnered appropriate responses, and how much of the paper proportionally was changed over time. I would love to see that studied on a large scale. Uh, and to even even to that end, I don't think anyone's done that in the way I, I hope I'm expressing correctly. Are you talking you about know, you, let's compare open with non-open and see what the sentiment differences are? Well, yes, but also with, within within the same journal. That's the best part. Yeah, yeah. Already got a pre-existing archive. Um, so you'd you'd need someone who was who had access to it to be able to do the work. But um, I think it, it's I'd, I'd love I'd love to see that. I I, I think that. Do you know what you were, you were asking about LinkedIn last week? Yeah. Um, I one of the things that has struck me just playing around with it, which I do a lot more now uh, than I used to, because people write to me on it all the time. People add me to networks. People add me to little groups of whatever. Right. I've noticed how well behaved everyone is, simply because it is an ostensibly professional network. I go through. I ca- I can't even find a harsh word a lot of the time. It's all very you positive. Know? I mean, I see some criticism. It's more the fact that I am seen in this particular light with my real name in this format, you know? No one's called Johnny the Squid Fucker 49, right? Everyone is representing themselves and their place of work in a professional environment. And I wonder if open review would be more like that than people realize. That's kind of what what we've always argued, that when it's out mm. in the open and, I mean, anecdotally, if you were to run that, I know there's a few journals that are doing, um, they randomize reviews towards being um, open and, and non-open. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember the journals that are doing that, but there you could easily do a comparison of the sentiment or- or the, the the quality. I mean, quality is hard to determine. Oh, the, the the word count. Do do people who do open reviews do they spend more time on their reviews and do and do lengthy reviews? Um, but also just the general sentiment. You can compare these two things, and I would be so surprised if there wasn't a difference between the two things. So mm-hmm. so 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 surprised. Once you know this thing is open, um, especially if you if your if your name is on it, um, then. There'd be there'd be a massive difference in how people how the, the quality of the review and also how civil the reviews are. I think not not a day mm. goes past where someone's not posting a screenshot of some like dickish review. Like oh, um, so I saw one I saw one yesterday on Facebook. Okay. Mm. Which I am I am forced for a variety of reasons to keep and rarely look at, but um you know it's still occasionally. Uh, Vaguely interesting. Yeah, not since yesterday have I seen one of those. So <laughs> I think I, I guess I agree with you. Chris Jackson okay, did a did a good um, a good thread of these ones a few days ago. Former former guest Chris Jackson. I'll post a link to that in the show notes. Uh, okay, didn't see it, but yeah, yeah Geolo- geology man, they tell you. Do they get about it? They get about it. <laughs> Ang- angry people right. in, ge- in geology. Yes, because you can because you, you might say it's because Dan all their problems are buried. Fuck you, it was funnier than that. All right, next one. <laughs> next one. Uh, wearable physiological measurement devices. Um, overrated. I got sent a link from my father-in-law from there was a big um, a big write-up in the, the, the national tabloid here in Norway 
about a wrist device that could predict depression. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) How does it do that? Does it have a microfilm (laughs) index chip that that, that absorbs tears? Yeah. How does that everything so fucking ridiculous? Sorry. I mean, you could say, you could say, for instance, that psychomotor activity was correlated with depression, but predict it? Yeah, so I mean, th- this idea that like s- certain sort of activities or movements can can predict whether an episode is uh, <laughs> so. And look, it looked like um, oh, have you Christ, seen those okay. um, oh, there's those wristbands that have like magnets in them that are meant to like realign your chi or something. It, it kind of reminded. Uh, yes, I just make the assumption that I've seen everything in this yeah. space, yeah. and that m- most of it. Um, yeah, look, as someone as someone who works for a wearable company, I would also say overrated. <laughs> it's about 80, 85. Look, look, look the, 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 there's, there's a small subset of them that have absolutely no chance and everyone just rolls their eyes at and, and doesn't tell the people who are making them that uh, the physiological net that they're trying to cast, it just has no mesh. Well, let's, let's put it this way. Uh, hang on, hang on, Captain Pants. Um, the main problem with them, Dan, is that they're solving problems that people don't have. Because it's something has presented itself as an idea, uh, legitimate or otherwise. But even even if legitimate, someone an idea has presented itself. Uh, an engineering solution is possible. Therefore, uh, purely by some kind of digital magic that makes the data collected one meaningful, two accurate, and three capable of. Uh, Providing actionable information and able to make decisions about something. Um, I'd say they're a lot more successful as scientific devices than they are as uh, medical and consumer devices. Sure. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I was going to get at in that a lot of these devices, they can measure the thing they purport to measure, such as activity, hmm. such as heart rate. You know, you don't need a hmm. super expensive device to get a, a decent enough accuracy, but it's the next step of this will predict this thing or your 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 readiness or or stuff like that that's where things fall over for the, for these devices so it's sort of this it's kind of hiding behind this 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 curtain of objectivity this measures your heart rate i'm like sure yeah it does i'm sure it does but then it's the next mm. step where things get a bit fuzzy so yeah overrated yeah so there yeah overrated yeah and you you speak again speaking personally the amount of work that you have to do to get it to the point where it's measuring it accurately maybe people feel entitled uh, to the, the the fact that it successfully solves a problem after they've got it to work in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, reality is rarely that convenient. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about fishing? I think it is underrated. I've done it a few times in my life and I've really enjoyed it. I only ever do it when I'm sort of, it's never like, oh, let's go fishing today. It's I'm on holidays or I'm somewhere and it's nice. I'm very bad at it, but it's very nice. I've done it on a boat, done it from the shore, all sorts of places. I should probably do it more here in Norway. Everyone everyone loves fishing here. Um, Yeah. Extraordinarily restful. Yeah, exactly. Every now and again, there's also a fish. I mean- don't know. It's like a like a combination of a nap and a barbecue with it's potentially associated with some protein. It's yeah. It's, I I I miss it. Did you do it back in Australia? Oh yeah, yeah. Where a, 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 enough? 
Oh, around and about. Uh, sometimes, sometimes on a boat on the south coast, and I'll, you know, every now and then from a beach, and you know, I never have my own rig. It's just sort of know people, and it's you know, it's an excuse to drink beer near water and occasionally harass wildlife. I mean, what's not the <laughs> what more could you want? Yeah, no, I, I was thinking a few days ago. Um, yeah, just fishing would be great. Okay. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have the gear, and there's a few spots close-ish to where I am where you can sort of get a fish every now and then. But uh, uh, yeah, up in the wilderness, it's it's um, good times fishing up there. Nice. Okay. FMRI. <laughs> um, it is appropriately rated. Um, the, the, the downside of the FMRI, FMRI is that be- – I think the sentiment is changing, but it's this idea that because you spent a lot of money on it, the results must be important. Yeah, the even if the results aren't valid or or, or the your experimental design sucks, because you spent money on it, it must be good. Um, that's not necessarily true. Um, a lot of people shit on fMRI for for, for various reasons. Um, yeah, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things, like you know to. Like any sort of methodology done properly, it's great. But if you sort of overstretch what you're trying to do, then it's bad. But it's especially bad because it's like it's fMRI. It's 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 got to be. I, good- I don't I don't think that's the right nomenclature. Done properly. <laughs> you can think done done in the service of a question it can properly address. Yeah. Right. Um, so I Which think- is not like you turned it on the right way and you did the right kind of fucking analysis. It's uh, are you asking a question which makes sense to be asked by this vascular McFuck in context? The answer is often no. I think, um, but I think EEG is underrated. Yeah. No, of course you do. <laughs> Um, EEG is underrated because it's sort of overshadowed a bit by fMRI, but this, the temporal resolution that you get from EEG, you can do some really cool stuff. Um, so, yeah, appropriately rated. Spoken, spoken like a man who can't afford an fMRI. Oi. Okay. <laughs> okay. L- l- last one. You ready? I'm ready. Me. <laughs> oh, man. Um- <laughs> Say it. Say it. <laughs> Say it. I'll also go with appropriately rated because- um, Oh, god damn it. What do you have to do to get a drink in this town? Damn. All right, go on. I would say <laughs> that's that. That's a curveball. Um, well, they were supposed to be all curveballs. They're, 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 start with foot they're, fetishes. I think that people think they know you, but they don't. Yeah. Hmm. There is, there is, there is Twitter, James. Uh, you know what? Psychoanalytic. I, I miss I miss Facebook James. Facebook James had a different vibe. You don't post anymore, which is fine. And I rarely even check it. Yesterday was a normally. Yeah, no, this is this 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 is like years ago. Um, I liked Facebook James, um, but he's not he's not there anymore. But uh, I think um, there were more cat photos. Cat photos. I just remember yeah. arguing. I just remember arguing with people. It was great. <laughs> oh, shit! Was it more unpleasant. It was just shit posting. Really, it was it was it was fantastic. Oh. Okay. Well, you know, I've become a lot nicer. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, Not really. <laughs> so, I think appropriately rated because it's, 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 it's the persona. People sort of have an idea of who you are from your sort of public thing, but 
knowing you a bit more, you sort of know the, the, the other side. Yeah. Some of it's grumpy, stroppy. That's okay. That's who you are. I fucking hope so at this point. <laughs> I haven't managed to alienate you by now. I've just accepted by now the fact that I can't alienate you. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're. <laughs> I think you're appropriately rated. And um, you, but you were you were referred to as a, as, a, as a science god last week in this in this article from this. There was this um some some weird diet app thing which I see pumped on Facebook a lot, and um oh. and they were talking. Oh yeah, someone 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 sent me that. It was uh, me. Yes. Was it, was it you? It was me. No, someone who wasn't you sent it to me. Okay. So, so, so essentially, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Sorry, go on. So, essentially, with this, um, with this app, um, they were promoting, <laughs> they were promoting the whole, um, the if if you put your your food on a small dinner plate, you'll eat less. But then they said, well, um, th- this has since been disproven by the uh, the the work and the associated work has been disproven by the science gods. But still, we think it works <laughs> as part of their promotion. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this was this was empirically tested. It was empirically tested so badly that the work itself was removed from the scientific record. <laughs> uh, the researcher resigned in disgrace from a named position as a full professor at a very large Ivy League university. But despite that, we quite like it. So we think we'll keep recommending it. It was such a weird promotion ad. Uh, see, this is the, that that is the exact idea of. I mean. Th- there's a way in which the answer to that question is not very interesting. And there's another way in which if you did a tremendous amount of work, you could actually approach how that works. The first thing that I think of in terms of that is serving mechanics. If you study that with a buffet, then it's a very unrealistic portrait of how most normal people eat. Buffet in people general, just go mad. Well, yes, of course. But if you go mad with a smaller plate, perhaps you'll go less mad. You see, you could accept that. But then what happens when you make a certain amount of food that you have every intention of eating? I know how much I'm going to eat before I cook. Sometimes I cook for two nights. Sometimes I cook for five nights. Sometimes I go, it's Tuesday. I will cook dinner. I make an estimation then I eat that food. All you're doing is wearing out my feet if I'm going to be using a smaller plate. Yeah. Um. Likewise, if you're serving things that are family style, I mean, there's so many ways to, there's so many ways to split this up. But what happens when you have, a, a, like I said, a family style dish and everyone has a small plate and you eat things one piece at a time? Depends how much there is in the first place. If- well, you see, this is the thing. There's no one mechanic for eating food. Yeah. We haven't even gotten into... Like, does this only apply to main meals? Will, will I snack less if I, uh, you know, if, if, I, if, I, if I get my cheese doodles out of the cupboard? Since I found out they were a thing in America, I found the name amusing. Um, do, I, do I put them on a small plate? Or do I hold them in my hand? I do what I usually do, rip the packet open and then backfill my head into the kitchen, leave the packet and walk away. Efficiency in all things, Daniel, even the consumption of cheese doodles. Um, so, so, I mean, I'm describing a very it, – it's, it's messy. Interfaces like that are messy human things. And the idea that you've got to nail down a simple principle is it's how cranks think. Like this is the food mechanic. It's like sociology is just something that happens to other people. 
you know mm. there's there's no if everyone everything especially within sort of the, the practical nutrition and exercise and health and fitness and everything like that, everyone wants an answer everyone wants a way and there are no ways there are only principles and your ways and you have you have things like this and it's just a there's something very limited about the mindset of the whole the whole enterprise i know you were using this as an example to mock how someone inadvertently referred to me as a deity but we probably should do something thoughtful from time to time shouldn't we let's do it yeah okay well i'll tell you what we will do we'll take a break and then you're going to tell me about your amazing idea So here is my idea or something I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks. Let's talk about research funding, but not, not in the way that you think. When Oh, dear. Okay. When funders make funding conditional on a thing, researchers are going to do it. Yeah? Uh, researchers are already doing this. There are uh, reporting guidelines. You might need to do a report. Uh, once a year, you might need to write up a, um, a a version of your results for for popular consumption or whatever. There are a set of things requirements that funders do, and scientists accept that. That's just what you do. It's just it's part of it. And I think this very idea that researchers are going to do what funders ask them to do is really underappreciated when it comes to reforms and changing the way that we do things. I love the concept of grassroots um, grassroots reforms, people doing it, PhD students. I think this is fantastic. And it should go from, but it should, I think it should go from both ways, from the bottom and also from the top. And the top isn't the universities. The top is the funders because they're the ones that hold the money. And speaking of the funders, these, they obviously want the best, the best use of their money. And one thing I want to talk about is this idea of sharing data. And I think I have a solution. Okay. So we've spoken about this issue of researchers not sharing data. Um, great example today. Uh, great blog post from, uh, from Joe Hilgard. Yeah. About his battles for trying to get data or trying to get some papers that had some very, very sketchy results, uh, inconsistent data. Um, essentially retracted or looked at very carefully. We'll, we'll, we'll post a link there. That's a very, very, very good example. You've had so many examples in your own work about difficulties getting data as well. Um, one thing that we've raised in a past episode is this idea of a university having sort of an independent data uh, keeper, yeah, um, which, which seems, I think some universities are doing this, where essentially um, when you do a research project, um, the data goes there. And then if someone actually says, okay, I want to request this data, it is this independent body that actually determines whether this is a legitimate request. Um, but at the same time, one thing that we've learned is that universities <laughs> take care of their own. I mean, to, to go back to that, uh, to, to, to Joe's story, um, when the u- university was kind of looking through and doing an investigation, their conclusion was, oh, yeah, uh, our boy, the, the, the professor's just pretty shit at stats. But, uh, you know, what are you, you, you going to do? And that was essentially the conclusion of the investigation. Uh, and, that, and that's what we're going to get with a lot of universities. So, 
I don't think necessarily letting universities have control of the data is is going to be is going to be the solution here. So what I propose, and this is actually built on the back of how we do research locally. Locally, when I do most of my data and most of my analysis is done on the university cluster. Yeah, this is good because it means it's secure, um, and it means from the university side, it's very easy to audit who's doing access and who's doing the analysis. But what if? What if funders actually sent up their own central server where all the data that's that related to projects that they fund are stored and all the analysis is also done on this server? Yeah. And the benefit here is by default, when you publish a study, your data automatically becomes open. Yeah. If you have a good reason that your data shouldn't be open for privacy reasons whatsoever, um, then you can go synthetic. If that won't work, then you can make it private, but then it's the funder who decides what a legitimate request is. If you want to see the data, um, reviewers should automatically get access to this. Like just no, no questions asked. Yeah. But if you're looking at a paper that's already been published and you want access to the data, then you make a request to the funder and the funder is going to go, yeah, sure. This is legitimate. He, we, we paid for this data collection. Here is the data. So I think this would solve a lot of problems. Uh, firstly, it would solve this idea of forcing having open data, um, and um, it, it'd help for reviewing. Um, but but I think secondly as well, it would also help with having an audit trail of all analyses because you can see who's logging in and who's doing the analysis. So um, even if you didn't pre-register your study, you can't say we predicted this if your open audit actually said, no, this is the 99th time that you've actually tried doing this analysis. And that's something that you can check. As for cost, I think that funders are already paying for this. Yeah. When you write your grants, you're already putting a budget line paying for this, paying for access to these servers to store your data and analyze it. So kind of like APCs, instead of actually the funders paying for you to pay for that, they just pay for it themselves. And in the long run, that will be cheaper. But the beauty of all this is that people won't complain. If the funder says, we want to do this, we believe that our data should be open because we're paying for it. And if you're taking our money, this is what you're going to do. People aren't going to go, I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to apply for the money. People are still going to apply for the money and do this. That is my idea. Funded, supported data storage and analysis. James Heathers, your thoughts? Hmm. Yeah, I have. First of all, that's not a, that's not a terrible idea. Um the structure of it to begin with my my first thought is why would hundreds or thousands of individual funding bodies want to start coming up with their own systems to be able to do this it's all going to be cloud based anyway they're going to be they're going to be hiring aws servers or some shit <laughs> so why would they not simply Pay for the upkeep elsewhere. Why would they? Why would they not just hire their own uh, service to do the maintenance and warehousing, etc.? Because look, what you're proposing is a really very large, complicated digital repository, and to put in things like version control and access control that is 
like fluid. So, I mean, you need to get reviewers a certain kind of access. Um, maybe journal editors have different kind of access. Uh, you have different persistent rules for the access going forwards. It's not a trivial thing to do at all. It's quite a it's quite a substantial thing to do. That and you know is it's going to come with a series of complications. So something like something like this, you're proposing what in a, a lot of contexts would be a whole company. Now, how that stretches across private and public funding bodies is going to be it's going to be really difficult. Um, so an ecosystem where there were major services that we used to do this uh, and individual funding bodies engaged people who were already experts to be able to do it feels a little bit more viable than, you know, let's just get it set up. Fuck off, fuck off to the shops and buy a server. Um <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not, 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 not saying so it's easy, but there's, there's already there's no yes, but you're saying it's easy, but I mean whether or not something's doable is ideas are fine. Everything is execution, though, and the the center of this idea, I think, is is resting on an observation that we've previously talked about, which is the maximum amount of leverage in a world where there is endless competition for any source of funding. The maximum amount of leverage belongs to the people who hand out the money. And what you're proposing is potentially taking money out of their budgets to hand the money out in order that the objects themselves should be preserved. So you'd want a very good... I, I think what you'd want to do, the way that you'd sell that to someone is the persistent value of having this open as a public good or a public object. And you'd want to strongly promote the idea that other people could reanalyze, inspect, or use it to, to other ends. Because um, to get the maximum amount of value, I mean, you'd also need a whole bunch of interoperability between potentially different services. So... I mean, it could it could make done properly. It could make aggregating different data between different experiments in different areas that are measuring the same kinds of outcomes. It could make that uh, very straightforward. Uh, there's just an astonishing amount of work that would go into uh, putting in features like that. Yeah. So, I I I wonder if the the collective appetite of People who run these organizations, um, be they uh, public or private funded, I, I wonder of just how committed they are to the idea that what they have is valuable in the first place. I mean, this grants in that their essence in most schemes, the way that they're awarded, the amounts that they are, haven't, there's no, there's no appreciable change in that over a very long period of time and certainly a lot of decline over the last 20 years. We often complain that academic objects are not modern digital objects. Um, 
Well, the way that grants are assessed and handed out is also obviously, I mean, if the whole idea of throw away the entire ability to evaluate anything past a certain point and put it to a lottery, if if we're having a serious conversation about whether a fucking dice is is going to, a guy, sorry, is going to make a, a better decision than a group of appropriate experts, <laughs> then, you know. This is, I mean, people, people who are in various industry roles have, have complained to me many times. It's like, uh, you know, they pay the, all this money, generate all this intellectual property, and then nothing happens with it. Um, things that could be massively valuable for the people who are generating them, which are usually governments, mm. right? Um, but they're, they're giving it away in terms of, well, like, well, it's a public asset. Like, well, you could continue the development yourself and make the public asset a better thing. Well, you know, there's various commercialization possibilities within that. Depends on what it is, of course. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the worst idea you've ever had. Uh, I particularly like, I particularly like the idea of everything suddenly becoming normal because the person who has all the money says so. Mm. And a lot of the time, that's how a lot of the time that's how normality starts. Um, the initial problems feel like they'd be around, like how are you going to get this shit to run? Of what of a myriad of uh, computational environments are you going to use to be able to generate something where A turns into B and B is presented and A is measured? Yeah, that that's where it gets a bit tricky. Um, at least how things work locally, they it's all it's all tricky. It's an enormous, it's an enormous idea. You have flung the entire bakery into the sky. But but essentially, many you, you, flying pies. You can run virtual machines. So if you have a Windows machine or a Linux machine, then you could run that virtual you can run that virtual machine on the server and do essentially whatever you whatever you need to do. Oh, were you just handing out computing power like it's free? No, but what I'm saying oh. is individual individual universities are pulling this off. Individual universities are doing this. They have a secure way, place where they, they, you can, they can store data and do analysis. If an individual university can do this, then in principle, you can scale up. Scaling up would, would you, you'd save money by scaling up. So it's possible on a mid-ish scale. No, we know it's we, we know it's possible. Different people would save different amounts of money. You can't. Not everything is a macro decision. Like some some universities have private budgets that are the same as some small countries. You're proposing something that's fiercely international and crosses a lot of. Because we, we we want this to be some kind of blanket expectation. Um. We're actually going to implement it. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how I do this to begin with. I would take one of these special interest grant schemes, you know? Let's say it's a, uh, an underappreciated disease yep. like uh, ALS or something. Sure. And you you have a, a kind of a you, – you, you, you see this, this happen every, every now and again in uh, different countries in different contexts. Uh, a tranche of money is released by someone that looks at a specific topic. And people who work in that topic are invited to apply. Um, sometimes these things can be a bit more risky, blue sky, whatever the fuck it's called these days. Um, you, you know, you're, in, you're invited to speculate. You're invited to take a few more risks. It's all, it's all a little bit more exciting a lot of the time. 
And you offer that on the basis of we're going to start a really great body of knowledge on this one thing. And any tomfool person can get access to this. And you don't want to pick something that's got uh, private health information or anything sensitive, you know. The location of the largest redwood in California. It's open data. I want to climb it. Um, you know. I think you need to... I mean, any idea that starts really big a lot of the time, unless it's being, unless the implementation is also sufficiently big, is doomed. You want a test case. I like that idea. Uh, starting starting with a smaller, like one smaller scheme or one um, unique grant call. Yeah, yeah, one 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 disease. Yeah, I mean, it's something that. Uh, if senior researchers in a, a, a grant body particularly interested in one specific thing, like glioblastoma or, you know, something serious, but, you, you know, not a huge area of, uh, you know, not, not, a, not a wide area of study. Um, I, wonder, I wonder what it would mean because, I mean, also the, the, it takes years for things like this to not only the planning of it to come to fruition, but the ability to actually execute the idea and then have the benefits seen on the other side. Um, I feel like we've all collectively lost the ability, especially over the last couple of years, to think long term. Everyone's burned out on immediacy. And it's... It's running right out of the environment of, well, shit, what happened today? Yeah. The plague certainly hasn't helped. Neither is you can name your political situation of choice in response to that, but also, you know, previous to it. It's, um, it's hard. It's hard to sell people on your visionary ideas i feel these days i think there's just there's more attention than ever before and it all seems to be going to uh everything that happened 20 minutes ago everyone is incredibly present and it's often a huge pain in the hole so you know i i wish you great luck with your 10-year plan dan um you could find it extremely challenging so on that, do you, do you think long term reform reform efforts are doomed? No, I I, I don't. Um, Why? Because there are, there are still countries and work environments and civil services that have the appetite for thinking about how the future is approached. It's not dead. It's just like sicker than it was, and. It's it's often very hard to make clear cases about things like this. This is very hard. To, I mean, you you could be you could be proposing spending, you know, eight nine figure sums on being able to get some implementation of this on some broad basis. The money has to come from somewhere. I mean, in a lot of places, it probably has to come from a specific act of parliament, which. You know, it's not someone changing a line item with what they do. Um, it's it's a it's a big money decision, and I I'm perpetually confused by how science is seen in the public eye in a lot of contexts, like why it has the profile that it does. 
why it why it isn't perceived as like something that's a reasonable idea. And it feels like every every inconsistency, every mistake, and of course all the lies, disinformation, and bullshit that surround scientific associated topics is one thing. But every time there's some appreciable success in some domain, people go, well, of course we have that because we have progress. It's never, thank you, empiricism, the job. I appreciate your attention to detail in these matters. It's nice that we're not all dying. It's nice that the water isn't full of parasites and, you know. I I do wonder why... I do wonder why we don't all have better PR. I wonder if that's the center of uh, where, where you're going to get all of your money to be able to do something like this. What is this, is how, how science in general doesn't have better PR? Yeah. It, it shouldn't be. I mean, regardless of what you think of it in the, the, the face of other broader ideas about how humanity and reality are constructed, it shouldn't be a side note. In budget negotiations, it shouldn't be something that's there as well, something that's occasionally worth a single special interest article. It's not a topic du jour, the way so many other things are. And so much of that is dumb shit. Like people arguing about deficits. Mother of God, they don't even know what they are or where they come from or what they do. They're out there yelling about them. Australia was fierce for this. Deficits. I've heard they're bad. They must be. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've I've taken your reasonably intriguing idea and then turned this somewhat bleak, Daniel. Do you have any more details to add to it? No, that's it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was mainly, mainly so inspired for asking, I suppose. Mainly inspired by the sort of work that that we're doing here, uh, locally, University of Oslo, in that uh, all that stuff is on this secure server. I think it's I think I think it's a good idea, and it's 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 on par it's on par with my um my my on you with your foot fetish. No, <laughs> hey, quite quite about that. It, it's on par <laughs> it's on par with my um uh, uh funders should also start a journal, which which happened. Yeah, say listen to me. <laughs> oh right, I should have known it was you. Yeah, ERC, listen to me, and they've, start, they've started their own uh, started their own journal um, for, for a lot of the same arguments. But we are going to wrap up for this episode. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again soon with a new episode of Everything Hurts. See ya.